eventually, though, you've got to move on. Um, there's no way you can go back in time and fix something that has already happened. You can do your best to own it. You can do your best to learn from it. You can do your best to make it right. But at some point, you got to let it go and just say, there's nothing else I can do about this except make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Here at Status Go, we've been thinking a lot about customer service, and more specifically, the customer experience. That's why a recent LinkedIn post caught our attention. The post was a thank you from a client to their service provider, a technology service provider. When was the last time you saw that happen? Here's what it said. We work with a lot of vendors. Many are good, but you guys are definitely one of the best. And I don't say that lightly. You really exceeded our expectations. That compliment was soon followed by another. I echo those comments. Your company sets the bar that we compare other vendors against. Have yet to find one that measures up. Maybe you need to diversify your offerings. Soon the post was receiving hand claps and thumbs up from CEOs, CIOs, and business owners. We had to figure out the secret sauce. Today's guest is Joe Webb. Joe is the founding partner of the Ciro Group. Frankly, I had to go back and look to see if we've had Joe on the program before. After 170 episodes, I was surprised that we hadn't invited him to be a guest before. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for about seven years. Shortly after we met, Joe wrote a blog series that just blew me away. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, on this episode as well. His leadership lessons from the Appalachian Trail is a must read for any leader or aspiring leader. I could not wait to remedy the oversight of having Joe on the program. So without any further ado, Joe, welcome to Status Go. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to talk to you today. I appreciate the invitation to be here. Well, I'm sorry it took seven years, man, but uh, I think we're gonna dive in and have a great conversation. Before we talk about your journey on the trail and your customer service focus, I also want to talk a little bit about your career journey. The Ciro Group has been around for 25 years, you know, and I want to know what led you down the path. Of course, I had to use the word path. You see how I did that uh, to start this company and how it has evolved in the last two and a half decades. Well, yeah, sure. It's, um, you know, when I founded the Ciro Group, I was working for a small uh, boutique software company uh, and had the experience of helping um, someone build their consulting practice into a thriving business that eventually became a product-based business. And, you know, this was back in the mid-90s when there were a lot of consulting uh, gigs available for Y2K, you know, the year 2000 yeah. anomaly that was supposed to have pretty dramatic effects around the world, yet because of a lot of hard work, much of that was avoided. And so I figured at that point, it was a great time since I had helped someone uh, build their business and had participated firsthand, that it was a good time to strike out on my own. And so, 
you know, I'd had a broad range of, of experiences with that consulting gig, or I'm sorry, with that, um, uh, uh, boutique software company mm-hmm. and had learned some networking, had learned some email and of course, Microsoft SQL server. And mm-hmm. so, um, thought it'd be an opportunity to, to strike out on my own. Well, and what I find interesting about your company, Joe, is um, you really, you're, you're still very focused on that one area, SQL Server. That's remained your focus for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how have you been able, well, first of all, what led you to that decision? Because that's an incredible business decision to make. And then how have you resisted that temptation to, uh, get into other areas. You know, back early on in my career, uh, I was energetic and, you know, felt I was almost like a technical sponge, right? I wanted to know a little bit how email servers worked and a little bit about TCPIP and a little bit about this, that, and the other. Uh, but really learned pretty quickly that, you know, the world was changing so quickly from a technology perspective that I could not possibly keep up and be, um, you know, up to date in more than one area. And so I began really uh, calling out just the things that were most important to me, the things I was most passionate about. Mm -hmm. And after paring down everything else, what I realized is what I like most is helping people accomplish their mission by focusing on one thing and one thing only, and that's Microsoft SQL Server. And, and so basically, uh, w- I know we've talked on this program about virtual CIO services, virtual uh, CISO, Chief Information Security Officer services. What, what you're providing is virtual DBA services in a nutshell. Yeah? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There are a lot of organizations that have incredibly important information stored in, you know, 5, 10, 15 different Microsoft SQL servers. That information is critical to their operations, critical to their success, critical in delivering their services or products to their customers. But with only five or 10, 15 different Microsoft SQL Server instances or databases around, they they can't really justify having a full-time expert DBA, yet they need the knowledge and expertise that comes with someone like that or multiple someone's like that. So we provide that virtual remote DBA service. We provide the software or we provide the, uh, the expertise. We provide the processes. And yes, we provide some software that we use to manage and provide that enterprise level DBA team service mm-hmm. to those organizations that don't necessarily uh, need to have that level of full-time expertise ex- or an expense of that. It, it, so you use the word team, Joe, and I, I know that for uh, about the first 20 years of the Ciro Group, uh, it was just you. Uh, you were you were uh, sales, you were marketing, you were management, and you were delivery. Um, but you've expanded. What What kind of led to that decision to bring on others? Because I, we're going to tie that back later uh, to your success at customer service. But I just want to understand that decision process you went through. So early on, as you mentioned, it was it was really just me. 
uh, I was providing to my clients. And what I would do is I would come in and I'd help them with a Microsoft SQL Server issue. Might have been a performance issue. It might have been setting up and installing, configuring a high availability situation for them for, for from the database perspective. But whatever it was, I would do that job for them. And it may take a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And then I would move on to the next series of clients. And they were the that client was happy and they were running well for many years. But at some point, what would happen is they would call me back, not because they were dissatisfied, but because something had happened. Maybe backups had stopped working and they had database corruption and didn't know it for months, right? Or the SQL server was hung up and they couldn't get it restarted or whatever. And their emergency was certainly impactful for them, but then it became my emergency as well. What I realized is, you know, we could avoid a lot of that if we had simply provided a, an ongoing service or been able to stay involved at least every so often to make sure mm-hmm. that the SQL server was healthy, that it was reliable, that it was performing well, that it was secure. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So yeah, yeah. if we could simply help them avoid those emergencies, that would be far better than um, having you know those emergencies come up periodically and then having everybody have to stop and respond. So you you evolved it into more of a, a managed service, which um, uh, again goes back to that virtual DBA service uh, to continue to make sure things were healthy uh, mm-hmm. and and properly managed. I think that was a great a great decision. Well, we're going to circle back on that here in a little bit, Joe. But right now, I want to take a switch back again. I got to keep throwing these puns out uh, like- re- related to the to the trail. Your blog series a few years back titled Leadership Lessons from the Appalachian Trail was incredible. It, it really spoke to me. Uh, you know, there was a time in my life where I was uh, I was actually seriously considering uh, following the Lewis and Clark Trail by canoe. Uh, I did not end up doing that. Uh, I ended up following it by RV. Uh, but so this 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 epicness of hiking the Appalachian Trail uh, just First of all, it had to be an incredible experience. And what I would love for you to do is just set the stage. What what drew you to that? I've been backpacking most of my life. I started back when I was a teenager and I would go on various you know trips, mostly weekend trips with friends, uh, you know, once, twice a year, three times a year, something like that. And in the back of my mind, what I thought I would do when I retired is you know, save up enough money, enough time, enough everything to be able to start at the Southern Terminus in Northern Georgia, uh, and then walk the 2,200 miles northbound, it's called a through hike, to the, to the Northern Terminus in Maine, right? Mount Katahdin. And so that typically takes anywhere from, you know, four to six months to accomplish. And I'm nowhere close to a season of life where I can do that right now. Mm -hmm. So in the back of my mind, that was just kind of a bucket list item to do when I retired. But then I realized, you know, life is short and there are no guarantees. Um, There's no guarantee that I'll be, you know, healthy enough to walk it when I retire, that I'll even make it to retirement. I don't want to sound morbid, but there's just no guarantees in life, right? Um, 
there may be other circumstances when I retire that are more important to me than taking that six months off to do that. So I uh, decided to begin section hiking it. So I started at the Southern Terminus, walked northbound for a couple of weeks, got off the trail. And every time I get off the trail, I pick back up huh. where I, where I um, left off the last time. And so, so far I've um, been doing this, I don't know, maybe five years or so, and I've completed about 730 miles of it so far. Um, sounds like a lot, but again, when you think about 2,200 miles of it, that's only roughly a third of the trail. So, but I'm having 700, a lot. 700 miles is a lot. That's a, that's a lot of hiking. Uh, I love when you and I talked uh, a week or so ago, Joe, um, how you approached that first time, the the uh, I think you went a hundred miles, maybe a little bit more than a hundred miles in that in that first section. But talk to us about your intent. How did you? What was your intent going into the that first section? I had made um, the decision that I really wanted this to be a a restorative. Uh, kind of mountaintop type experience. I wanted to completely unplug uh, from all electronics, from all um, conveniences of modern life and just go and, you know, sit atop a mountain and have life really come down to just a handful of things, right? Walking, eating, sleeping. And unfortunately, that first year was in the middle of a really uh, severe drought. And so fourth thing was finding water. Um, But, um, and so uh, somehow convinced my wife that that was a, was a good idea to do alone. And um, having been a scoutmaster for many years uh, that she reminded me on more than one occasion leading up to that trip, that I was breaking every rule associated with the buddy system, right? Uh Never go any place alone. Yet here I was going to embark on a two week trip uh, uh, into the woods by myself, but really wanted a, a, an opportunity to simply reflect and to recharge my batteries and to have that mountaintop type experience, uh, over a matter of a couple of weeks. But something changed once you got out there, um, um, something changed and, um, what, what was that and what did that lead you to do? Well, I had wanted, uh, to leave everything behind, everything work related behind and simply have an opportunity to rest and have that restore. And I've known from other hikes that, you know, it usually takes me a couple of days for my, my mind to completely wind down and to, to, uh, get out of the, you know, some people call it a monkey mind mentality, right. Of, uh, thinking about something and immediately jumping over and, oh, wow, I've got to get the oil changed in the mm-hmm. car. And then thinking about something else and then having my mind bump over and say, oh, I really need to reach out and send Jeff that email that I promised and just bouncing around. I knew it took a couple of days for that. And after those couple of days, then I could have those long, deep contemplative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I love that. But during those long, deep contemplative thoughts, my mind kept going back to wow, here's a, an incredible lesson that would make a great blog post, right? You know, I, at one point I had uh, walked, up, walked up onto a uh, campsite that, uh, you know, had a fair amount of trash around it. And backpackers generally are very much 
followers of the Leave No Trace. We pack everything in, we pack everything out. But this one happened to have a lot of trash. And and that, spark, that sparked a, a thought in my mind about, you know, wow, there's a, there's a lesson here, right? And then every time I turned around, it seemed just every few minutes, another lesson came. And I kept pushing those to the side until finally they were piling up so much. I realized I've got to start jotting these down, even if or my mind won't leave me alone. And so yeah, I started yeah. jotting them down. And uh, next thing I knew, I had, you know, a couple of dozen finally ended up distilling them down to about, you know, 12 or so. But uh, uh, those were those were lessons that uh, seemed to me pretty applicable at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't sure if anybody else would find them interesting or not, but decided to, to write them down. And uh, if nothing else, for posterity for myself. Yeah. Well, at least I found them interesting, Joe, because I, I really enjoyed the series. And, and we don't have time to talk about all 12 because I really do want to get into uh, your customer service, your customer experience mindset. But uh, before we do that, I would like to talk about uh, a couple of those 12. And for our listeners, we will provide a link to Joe's uh, blog series in our, in our show notes. Uh, the first one that I wanted to chat just really briefly about was uh, you titled it AT Lesson Number Two. Not making a decision is a decision. Ah, uh, yeah. Describe the situation, and then in a, in a in a nutshell, what's the leadership nugget that you took away from that? So, in a, in a um, you know, to briefly describe it, that was my first night on the trail. I had walked. Uh, I had spent many many hours ahead of time looking at and planning uh, the the route and. The, the milestones that I wanted to accomplish, to accomplish on this trail. And, you know, at the end of the first day, I'd only been hiking maybe five hours or so and had completed eight or nine miles, something like that. And I'd gotten to my first destination, a little shelter, um, about eight or nine miles into the Appalachian Trail. But it was only four o'clock in the afternoon. And this was June when sun didn't set until maybe eight o'clock at night, something like that. And so I got to the shelter and realized, you know, hey, I feel surprisingly good for the amount of distance I've I've traveled today. And and I feel like I could keep going further. But I ended up sitting down, chatting with a few hikers that were already there while uh, when I had walked up and a few more straggled in, you know, along the way and began talking to them, all the while intending in the back of my mind to eh, walk a few more miles before setting up for the night. But because I ended up not making that decision and not taking that decision and making an action on it, I ended up just sitting there talking and chatting to the point where it was too late in the day to continue on with that hike. And so not making a decision about whether or not to continue on and then more importantly, taking an action towards that decision became a decision in itself. Yeah. So how how could our listeners use that... uh, uh, leadership lesson. Uh, I think in your post, you, you, you talk a little bit about that. So how does that apply to business today? So in business, it's not often that people are just sitting around a picnic table talking to other people, right? <laughs> yeah, but they might be sitting around a break room. Who knows? Sitting around a break room. Sure. Uh, you know, what it looks like in business, or at least in, in, you know, my perspective, what it looks like in business is sometimes the, the tyranny of the urgent can push back the important issues, right? Uh, so yeah. we know that there's some things that we should do, uh, whether it's, you know, 
addressing this this server that seems to be problematic or having that important talk with an employee that you really need to have you know that that crucial conversation with um, mm-hmm. we know those things are important but there are a lot of other things that that kind of get in the way if you will because they're urgent there's that yeah, email yeah. that comes in that, that demands a response and unfortunately sometimes we don't make a decision until it's too late. We don't upgrade that SQL server until it crashes or until it becomes so poorly performing that our customers are leaving us because the, the, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's just unbearable to use. Or we don't have that crucial conversation with an employee until, it become, until that employee has you know, done some things that are you know, irreparably harmful to the organization. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. So the other one I want to talk about, and then I promise we will dive into customer service because I could I could talk about the Appalachian Trail and, and this blog series all day long. Uh, was uh, was lesson number five: beware of moving goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, along the trail, there's something called uh, you know the, a false summit, right? You're you're going up these mountains, um, and you know sometimes they're re- they're uh, called puds. In, on the Appalachian Trail, pointless ups and downs. Uh, <laughs> trail could easily go around this mountain, but for some reason it goes up and over. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, anyway, so you know, you're you're halfway up this mountain, so you believe, and you walk a little bit further, and you think right there is the summit. I'm almost there. Whew. I'm exhausted. Few more, you know, a couple of hundred yards, and there it is. But once you get to that couple of hundred yard mark, you realize that you're only halfway now that trail turns and there's another whole mountain behind it that you didn't even see because of your, your, you know, myopic perspective being right there on the trail. And so that's known as a false summit, right? You think you, you think you're almost done, but you're not there yet. And the same thing, we can do the same thing inadvertently in business or with our kids or anywhere else we can, uh, if we don't set clear expectations, then we're not communicating those clear expectations to our uh, to those employees, and they believe that when when they've accomplished something, they're done. Mm-hmm. They're not what you intended, and so when you come back to them with those with that with your original expectations that you didn't com- uh, communicate clearly. They believe you've moved the goalpost on. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so that's disheartening to them. They think they've done a great job and you've taught, you've told them that they've fallen short in that area. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways to avoid, you know, that, you know, being clear up front, giving, you know, frequent feedback, both positive and corrective along the way, uh, just to make sure that everyone is aligned with what the, you know, um, as, as some people call it, the commander's intent is. Mm-hmm. Uh, know what the ultimate goal is and, and then how we're going to get there. Well, I, I love these lessons from the trail and uh, to our listeners, I really encourage you to check out that link and, and read Joe's lessons from the Appalachian trail. Um, it's uh, they're enjoyable reads. They're engaging. Uh, and the lessons are just uh, incredible lessons for leaders uh, in business leaders in life. So I encourage you to do that. I do want to talk about customer service uh, and customer experience. And, and Joe, you've been in business 25 years. 
that in and of itself says a lot about customer service. But but how would you boil down your approach? How would you describe your approach to customer service? So since the very beginning, uh, my philosophy towards customer service and all of our clients uh, has been kind of a slight variation on the golden rule. I think a lot of us have heard the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. Um, and, and that's great in a lot of things, but not all of us are the same, right? We all have our, end, our own nuances, our own perspectives, the own, our own ways that we want to be treated. And so the variation that, that I've adopted over the years uh, is rather than treating others the way I want to be treated, is to try to treat them the way they want to be treated. Uh -huh. Not all clients are the same. Some of our clients want us to take all of the burden of the SQL servers, all the management, all the responsibility for keeping it up and running on ourselves and just let them know when we need them to make a decision. Others, on the other hand, have a team that they want us to help train up and mentor. And so they want us to be almost like a second level, you know, technical support for them or to help or, or to work shoulder to shoulder alongside them so that they can improve their team and their skill set. And so we want to treat and meet each client where they are and serve them the way they want to be served rather than the way we want to, to mandate it. I, I love that because you're you're absolutely right. It, every every client is different, um, and you know there's probably a leadership lesson in that as well, right? Because every employee is different, um, uh, you know, and uh, to be able to to meet them where they are, uh, well, all of that probably ran very very well for your first nineteen or twenty years, right? You're <laughs> the one that's doing that and and that, but. Now, six years ago, you expanded your staff. How do you ensure that they provide that same level of care of your clients? You know, it's a, um, I would say that it's probably a nuanced version of that same philosophy. Uh, you know, treat each employee the way they want to be treated. But really, it kind of boils also as a parallel or a corollary to that. Uh, which I first read from Richard Branson. It may, may, may have originated with someone else, but essentially the, the concept is take care of your employees and they will take care of your business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I want everyone that, that works with the Cerro Group uh, to feel as if this is the place they want to retire. They want to work for the rest of their lives. And so treat them the way they want to be treated. Sure, there's managerial and leadership things that must be done. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we want to make sure that if we take care of our employees, they then will take care of our clients. And one of the ways we do that is, and since we're a small, nimble business, we can make these kind of decisions. But, for example, is a profit sharing uh, we, mm -hmm. we have profit sharing within the organization on a quarterly basis. Um, I review the books with, with all of our full-time employees, uh, and we go through essentially the, the, the P&L statement, right? And at the end of that discussion, they know how we're doing, uh, and they receive a percentage of the profit of the organization from that quarter. Mm -hmm. That helps them to not only connect what we're doing 
uh, to our internal financial success, but also they realize that, that the success of our organization is really ultimately dependent on how well we help our clients succeed. And mm-hmm. so that aligns all of us with the same ultimate goal, right? Take care of our clients. And when they succeed, we succeed. I love that level of transparency to really go through the, the P&L, go through the books so that everybody understands what a, what a great lesson in business they're learning. Well, talk to me about the hiring process. Obviously, you're looking for SQL Server talent when you're hiring uh, someone. But what, what are some of the other characteristics you're looking for when you're hiring? You know, it's, it's funny you ask that because, you know, we're actually uh, trying to bring on uh, another DBA <laughs> right now. Uh, and what I can tell you what we do look for is, yes, we do look for SQL Server talent. That is obviously important. We provide a high level, uh, expert level care for, our, uh, for SQL Server to our clients. And so having that core competency is very important. Uh, but we also are looking for, you know, a, someone who has the interpersonal skills uh, that we can put before each of our clients, right? Mm-hmm. Who is client focused, who understands, you know, the principles that we work with, treating our clients respectfully, meeting them where they are, treating them with that variation of the golden rule that I, that I mentioned. Yeah. And so, you know, I've learned through other mechanisms in my life, through other vehicles in my life, being a scoutmaster and some other things, that the culture of an organization is incredibly important. And when someone new joins, um, the culture will shift, but if you have a little bit, but if you have a strong embedded culture to start with, it's, it's very likely that that person, if you hire right, will complement and extend that culture rather than bend it in a way that, that you really don't want it yeah. to go. I, I love that. So uh, hiring for both skills and, and soft skills, how, however you want to call soft mm-hmm. skills, I like to call them essential skills, but that character uh, is important as well. Well, uh, Joe, I, I know not everything always goes according to plan. Not everything is always rosy. How do you handle things when maybe things go sour with a customer? Mm, mm, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, well, I tell you, I'll give you a, a bit of, a, I'll give you an example from the trail. As, okay. uh, so, um, you know, when you're, when you're hiking, walking, you know, along the path up and down mountains and so forth. Occasionally you may feel a hot spot, you know, on your foot, say the Mm -hmm. back of your ankle or on the side of your toe, something like that. Uh, And that hot spot is a warning sign that you've got a blister that is waiting to manifest itself. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't recognize that right away and take some sort of corrective action, right. Um, Either adjusting, adjusting the way your uh, sock is or the way your uh, shoes tied or do something else, right? There's some other techniques that, you know, get into another time, but you need to adjust, recognize and adjust early uh, to avoid those problems. But if you do have those problems, you know, you've got to own it, right? Um, You've got to understand that you have a part in this. You can't blame other people. You've got to have that, you know, internal locus of control. Otherwise, you're going to go through life feeling like you're a victim and, and helpless, 
without, you know, it, it happened to you. You've got to own the part that your part in it uh, and then learn from it. Um, learn what you could do differently next time. Learn how to adjust, learn how to recognize things early. Maybe there were warning signs that you missed at the time, but if you reflect on them now, in hindsight, maybe you could recognize those. Mm -hmm. And then eventually though, you've got to move on. Um, there's no way you can go back in time and fix something that has already happened. You can do your best to own it. You can do your best to learn from it. You can do your best to make it right. But at some point you got to let it go and just say, there's nothing else I can do about this. Yeah except make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. I love how you tied that back to the trail, Joe, and the, the concept of the, the hot spots uh, potentially becoming a blister. And, you know, if you, don't t if you don't catch it early, it's going to be a larger problem later. And I think that says a lot uh, to us about customer service and looking for those early warning signs uh, and then learning later, um, maybe a warning sign that might have been missed, um, and incorporating that into the future. I know we're just about out of time and we are all about action here on Status Go. And one thing I've learned about, about you, Joe, in the last seven years is you are also all about action. Uh, <laughs> uh, anybody that's uh, done 700 plus miles on the Appalachian Trail uh, takes action. Uh, but here on Status Go, we like to leave our listeners with a, with a pretty strong, explicit call to action. So what are one or two things that our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? Mm. It's a great question. You know, um, um, first thing that came to mind was go out, rent an RV and take a, uh, the Lewis and Clark trip. <laughs> yes. Yes. I <laughs> highly recommend it. But since not all of us can do that, um, you know, the, the, the more applicable thing is probably, uh, you know, Spend a few minutes, you know, pause and reflect, put some time on your calendar to pause and reflect. And, you know, some say that pausing and reflecting is not an action, but it is. If you pause and reflect, you know, for just 10 minutes, put it on your calendar, consider what's important for you, uh, and then determine what is one thing that you can do to move the needle on that item that you've decided is important to you, right? Do that to do that tomorrow and then figure out what that next thing is for the next day and move the needle just a little bit each day. There's that concept of, you know, um, I don't, I don't know who started it, but a concept of 1% better each mm -hmm. day. Yeah. Uh, if you can get just 1% better each day by the, at the end of a year, you're 37 times better than you were the day you started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Process of compounding interest. Right. So, Identify one thing, take an action, you know, and then take the next step after that. I, I, I love that, Joe, because it, it really ties back to our entire conversation. And, uh, you know, you're not you're not going to complete the Appalachian Trail in in one step. It takes takes uh, one step after another after another to keep to keep moving forward. And I, I love the concept of personal reflection and a topic we didn't even talk about today, but I assume uh, based on your leadership lessons that that you write in a journal and that's a great way to to reflect um, on things. So uh, listeners, if you're not if you don't write in a journal, that might be a way to do that reflection 
that Joe was talking about. And uh, keep track of, of, of your thoughts and your improvement because that gives you that, that roadmap of where you've been so that you can see where you're going. So, Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Jeff. Well, Joe, I really want to thank you for carving out the time and, and talking with us today. I really have enjoyed it. Um, I, I knew I would going into this and uh, did not disappoint. So thanks a lot for carving out time, Joe. I certainly appreciate you inviting me, Jeff. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. I could do this uh, every day, but I'm sure <laughs> we we just we, we can't do that. But uh, enjoyed talking to you today. Be careful with that. I might call you, you know, more often and uh, and have these conversations because I've really enjoyed it. To our to our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. We will be sure and provide a link uh, to Joe's blog series as well as to the Ciro Group uh, if you want to check that out. Uh, this is Jeff Tun for Joe Webb. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.